Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Jajawarong and the Wadawarong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. Right and right review. Right and review. Right yeah. and review. Rah, rah, rah. Right and review. <laughs> We're both doing our exercises. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Chickstree, the podcast about chicks in history. It says it right there, Chickstree, chicks in history. Not chooks, as in chickens. <laughs> Just I just thought I'd make that clear in case you've been listening all this time and thought, gee, they've not brought up one hand yet. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, my name is Annie. That is Phoebe. <laughs> and uh, this is Chickstree. And, look, I can't guarantee this is going to be a, a, a tight episode. I'm feeling a bit loose today, I've got to say. <laughs> it could go it could go awry. <laughs> we'll just we'll see how it pans out. But nothing's but promised. Del- nothing's promised, but you delivered with the with the chook comment already. So there we go. There we go. How are you? How have you been? What's oh, been yeah. going on? Not bad. Not bad. Um look, not a lot. Just a bit of research. Bit oh of yeah. Research. But I did think um I did think I might give you a bit of a um book review because you know I am the I Margaret Pomerantz of yeah <laughs> similar very similar yeah. um they're actually these are two books that I, I so I'll preface this by saying someone uh reached out to me on Instagram and said oh my god I've read um the oh my god the secret apothecary the one that I, oh uh, yes the lost yep. apothecary sorry yes and like oh any more book recommendations I said oh actually there's a couple that I would you know sort of the same genre and I thought I'd tell you about them so there's oh, two do. one's called the little wartime library by Kate Thompson and one's mm-hmm. called the Paris library by Janet Skeslian Clark I'm so sorry if I said that incorrectly mm. both are set in both are big advocates for public libraries one of them the little wartime library is and they're both based on actual events and actual libraries yeah Uh, the little wartime library was uh, based on a library that was established in Bethnal Green in the underground um, during the second world war so you know people would actually go down to the underground to be able to borrow and use the library and people bunked down there during the blitz and that sort of thing. Yeah, right. And then the other one, the Paris Library, is all about the American Library in Paris, which was a real place as right. well. So it was an English yeah. reading library in Paris that was op- well, that was open during the Second World War and the occupation. So it's really um, oh, so if you wow. like that sort of historical fiction if yeah. you like a library, like I do, I yes. like it. I'm, I, I've got about four books on the go. I'm hopeless when it comes to actually finishing books. I get very like, oh, just start something and put it down. But <laughs> I am enjoying at the moment, um, Patty Smith, just kids. Oh yes, and I've I actually got this as a gift a long time ago, and I haven't, I had read it then, um, and I'm just rereading it again, and I just her her. Her writing and her 
memories of New York in the, um, you know, 40s and 50s, mm. 60s. Uh, it's just extraordinary. It really, she, you t- it takes you right back there to, you know, that sort of bohemian, arty kind of, you know, everyone's an artist mm. or a writer or a musician or a photographer and it's really good. It's, I, I rec- recommend that. Some autobiography. Yep. Kind of. Is that what you call it? Bi- bio. Uh, memoir. Memoir. It's a memoir. Mm. Mm. Memoir. Mem- memoir. <laughs> memoir. And the other book I'm reading at the moment is um, Attached because I've realised, um, you know, as you get older, you've got to kind of do a little bit of the work on yourself mm. and the three attachment styles, secure, anxious and avoidant. Mm-hmm. Worked out I'm an anxious, uh, <laughs> I've got the anxious attachment, <laughs> um, which is not great for me in relationships, but look. It's all good. Moving so on. Work, work in progress. <laughs> Moving oh. right along. What's <laughs> your uh, historical fact for today? Okay. So did you know that traditionally in many households, Mondays was used to be wash day? So not wash your body, wash your clothes. Oh, I was going to say, mm. run in the bath. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, so washing was mostly done in a copper on a Monday and then that left the rest of the week planned out accordingly which would involve to, um, doing the baking, mending, ironing and, of course, worshipping on a Sunday. Of course. Washing day would often include the mangle to wring the excess water out of clothes. It would also involve potential burns from scalding water uh, and then washing being hung out on the lines which were strung between two poles in the backyard. Until, of course, the iconic Hills Hoist was invented in 1945 and became a staple in many Australian backyards. Yes. Yeah. I've got a Hills Hoist in my backyard I now. I remember swinging on my grandparents' Hills Hoist and getting yelled at, you'll break the clothes. Oh, I always yeah. did that. Yeah. I did that growing up. Yeah. It was so much fun. Mm. And then and then, in, as I got older and got into my teens and was in high school, we used the Hills Hoist for a drinking game, <laughs> yeah. didn't we? Goon of Fortune. Goon of Fortune. <laughs> Uh, so I also thought uh, um, a word that might be appropriate after, yes. um, you know, Monday washing day and wringing out all the washing could be for swunk, which for is swunk. for swunk, yes, which is a 13th century word that means totally exhausted from too much work. I am for swunk. Mm, same. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, today I'm going to tell you all about a woman called Aletta Jacobs, who, amongst many things, was the first female university student in the Netherlands, a doctor, and an integral part of the Dutch suffrage movement. Mm. So let me tell you a few things about what was happening around the time of Aletta's birth. In mm-hmm. 1853, the first brakes were installed in the elevator, which had been developed the year before by Alicia Otis. Very handy. That's handy. I know. Yeah. (laughs) What happened before breaks in elevators? Uh, I'm not really – they weren't used for people. They were used for goods. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I suppose it was just sort of like one – yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Vincent van Gogh, the famous Dutch painter and the man that cut off his ear, was born Mm -hmm. in the Netherlands in 1853. Mm. And on the 12th of September, 1854, Australia's first steam steam railway line opened in Melbourne, which was about four kilometres long and travelled from Flinders Street Station to Sandridge, which is what we would now know as Port Melbourne. Uh Aha. 
you so go. I'll tell you a little bit about um, the Netherlands versus Holland. So quite often yeah. people will say, yep. you know, Holland, which one is it? Yes. Yeah. Well, the Netherlands is actually the whole country, which is made up of 12 provinces. So not quite states, but something that we would call a shire or a council here. Mm-hmm. And the area known as Holland is made up of the two largest and most populated provinces, Nord Holland and Zuid Holland. So therefore, quite often people will refer to the whole country as Holland. Um, and, you know, here's a funny fact. As a kid, I could never quite get my head around um, the word for people from the Netherlands being Dutch made no sense to me. It made way more sense to me that my pop, who was Dutch, um, was actually Hollandish because he was from Holland. Like that made sense. That makes sense. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> I don't Not think it was from... one of those things I said out loud, but I'm like, so he speaks Are they Hollandish? from Deutschland? Yeah. Well, that's Germany. That, see? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So anyway, let me preface this by saying I also mm. apologise in advance for my terrible Hollandish. Um, that is peppered throughout this. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> oh, okay. Aletta Henriette Jacobs was born on the 9th of February 1854 in the small town of Sapomia in the province of Groningen in the north of the Netherlands. And as a quick aside, mm-hmm. I have ancestors that hail from Groningen, so therefore Aletta and I, practically related. There you go. And Not really. I've not verified that in any capacity. <laughs> but... <laughs> I guess. Um, and it, straight up, straight out of the gates already with the pronunciation. Oh, I'm thank say. you. Yeah, you've got a real keen ear for Dutch. I can tell. Yeah, can tell. <laughs> Carry on. Aletta <laughs> was the eighth child of 11 to her parents, Abraham Jacobs and Anna de Jong. Abraham, sorry, Abraham was a local doctor who would often be accompanied by Aletta when he made his house calls to patients. It is said that Aletta's interest in the medical field grew from him and at the age of eight she knew she wanted to follow in his footsteps. However, there was one problem. She was a girl and girls did not study medicine and actually at this stage girls were not even permitted to go to secondary school. No, big problem being a girl. Big problem. Aletta started at a local village school where she finished her education in 1867 at the age of 13. After this time, it was expected that girls would go on to learn needlework, household management and female etiquette, clearly all in preparation for the only thing that women were able to do, marriage, having babies and keeping home. All the important things. Mm. All of the important things. All of them. Mm. Although there was no chance of a further education for a letter, she decided to do the only thing that was available to her at the time and that was to go to finishing school. She enrolled and lasted two weeks, at which time she declared it was idiotic and a waste of time. (laughs) Go. (laughs) Go, girl. After this, she continued her education by working as an apprentice dressmaker and studying what she could at home. Her mother taught her French and German and her father taught her Latin and Greek. However, Mm. it was still evident that this was not enough for a letter and what she really wanted to do was become a doctor. In 1869, at the age of just 15 years old and whilst not having the opportunities available to her, she was encouraged to do the next closest thing by a family friend, Levi Cohen. Cohen told her that she could become a pharmacy assistant after learning that a woman was able to take the test. With Mm. help from her father, brother Sam and Levi, she studied and was awarded her diploma in 1870. 
Clearly with an aptitude and a passion for learning, Levi, alongside Samuel Rosenstein, the rector of the University of Groningen, encouraged her to continue her studies. She prepared for two years for the entry exam for high school and eventually received permission to listen to classes at the National Higher Secondary School. Mm, just listen, don't. Yeah, just sit there and listen. I know. Mm, mm. <laughs> I don't know whether, you know, she was allowed to take notes. I've no just idea. Li- you can just, just listen. You yeah. can come. You can just listen. You can't mm, participate, but exactly. you can listen. So she became the first ever Dutch woman to attend high school. Soon after this, Aletta learned that a male student had been admitted to university after he had also passed his pharmacy examination. In secret, Aletta wrote to the Council of Ministers of the Netherlands to request permission to begin her university studies. She was eventually granted a one-year probationary period to attend classes. <laughs> Just one year. I Just get a guy, taste. I bet the guy wasn't wasn't mm. under any kind of fucking probation. Exactly. Sorry sure. to the children. <laughs> Warning. (laughs) Shortly after she began, Johan Torbeck, the minister who had given her the initial permission to enrol, died. However, Aletta's father, Abraham, had had the foresight to insist that Aletta's enrolment remain without probation and had made contact with him prior to his death. Not long before he died, she received confirmation that she had been admitted to university as a medical student. Yay! In 1879, Aletta graduated from university. She was the first Dutch woman to attend university, the first with a medical degree, and had also, the year prior, completed her doctoral thesis and was therefore the first woman to obtain a medical doctorate as well. She's busy. Busy Busy. woman. Smart. Mm. She sounds very smart. Does. Real smart. Mm. News of this spread around the country and she was flooded with congratulatory messages, including one from a social reformer, Carol Victor Gerritsen who gave her great encouragement and introduced her to other female physicians. Shortly after she graduated, Aletta made her way to London where she continued her education, although a little more hands-on. She went and observed women physicians in various hospitals around London for four months before she returned to the Netherlands in September 1879. During this trip, she met England's first female medical practitioner, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, and her sister, Millicent Garrett Fawcett, who were both heavily involved in the women's suffrage movement and other women's issues. Mm-hmm. Once she returned to the Netherlands, she quickly went about opening up a clinic in Amsterdam for the treatment of women. She faced much open hostility, especially from male doctors, who advised her she should be charging lower fees, seeing as she was not as good a doctor as them. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? She Mm. responded by rejecting their advice and telling them she should, in fact, be charging more as she was the only female doctor in the Netherlands. Exactly. I know. Hers is an exclusive service. Mm. They can get any old white dude to look after them, but if you want a woman, you've got to pay a little bit extra. Got to pay. Got to pay for that. Mm. It was also a time where she, as a woman, was not allowed to treat male patients as that was only allowed to be done by the men folk. Uh huh. But they were clearly allowed to treat female patients. Yep. Aletta found her passion treating women and children and was especially concerned about working class women and the conditions they were subjected to. She recognised that the laws did not work in their favour and they were not provided adequate protection for their health and more often than not their economic stability was compromised. Soon after she opened her private practice in Amsterdam, Aletta began running a free clinic two mornings a week that was in place to educate poor women about health, hygiene and childcare. 
As well as this, she also made house calls to the slums where many of her clinic patients lived. Wow. And this is late 1800s still? Mm, yeah, yep. That's so, incredible. Um, yeah, 1880s. Mm. Yeah. Her work with these women highlighted the plight many of them faced, repeated pregnancies and the high rates of infant mortality. She also worked closely with prostitutes, which also led her to learn more about sexually transmitted diseases. An advocate for the poor and the prostitutes, Aletta believed in the deregulation of prostitution, which may sound strange. However, sex workers at the time were subjected to humiliating medical exams as well as registering with the local police who would harass them. Mm. Essentially then having a record, the stigma of this work would follow them and they would find it difficult to find other work later on. Right, like a proper black mark against you. Yeah, and, yeah. And you look at what Amsterdam's like these days. I know. Jesus. I know. Through all of this work, Aletta became convinced that there was a need for reliable contraception that would help alleviate the physical and economical suffering for women, which was often a direct result of having too many children. After much re- research and testing, Aletta found success in the use of the diaphragm as a form of birth control. Not only that, she helped to counsel women in using what she sin- what has since become known as the Dutch cap, named after her. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. Or the Dutch pessary. Yes. It's also oh, known okay. as. Mm. Not surprisingly, she came up against much opposition from her male colleagues. Look, I mean, do they have anything better to do, really? No. Um, and just, other women. Can they women. just stop with our bits? Just get your nose out of it. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, against male colleagues but also um, opposition from other women who mm. claimed she was interfering with a divine plan or God's God. will uh, as well as encouraging extramarital sex and severely impacting population growth. Growth. Mm. These were often the same people that saw unwanted pregnancies and venereal diseases as an appropriate punishment for these women's sins. Oh, God. Oh, no. In 1882, three years after she established her practice and the free clinic, she opened the first birth control clinic in the Netherlands and the first in the world that was devoted to distributing information on the topic as well as free contraceptive contraceptive devices. Wow. She's way ahead of her time. Oh, it, that's extraordinary. Mm. Her free clinics were so well attended that she expanded her days. The following year, Aletta, an unmarried, tax-paying, working woman, wrote to the mayor and the city council of Amsterdam to question why she wasn't included on the voter list after she realised that women were explicitly banned from voting. Women were not classed as citizens and did not have civil rights because their taxes were paid by men, except that that wasn't the case for Aletta. She paid her taxes. The city council didn't budge, so she took it to the Supreme Court, which also came to naught. Three years after her appeal in 1887, an amendment to the Dutch constitution was carried, which explicitly granted voting rights to men. In essence, this would be the beginning of the women's suffrage movement in the Netherlands. Mm. In 1884, after many years of corresponding, Aletta and Carol Gerritsen married in what was known as a free marriage, a movement which separated the state from sexual and romantic matters such as marriage, birth control and adultery and was only of concern for the two people involved. The movement had begun around the 19th century but was championed earlier by the author Mary Wollstonecraft who believed women shouldn't give up their freedom for a husband. Too bloody right. I know. The couple did eventually legally marry 88, not 88, eight years later. <laughs> wow. 88 years later, 88 they years were <laughs> 752. <laughs> exactly. 
They married eight years later when they decided they wanted to have children. Although they didn't believe it necessary, they didn't want any children they had to carry the stigma of being labelled as illegitimate. Even though they married, they still maintained economic independence and separate living quarters in their shared home. After all of this, Aletta also decided to keep her maiden name after their marriage too. She never took her husband's name. Jesus, she's so ahead of her time. I know, isn't she? she? Wow. I know. Both Aletta and Carol joined the Neo-Malthausen League of Holland, which advocated for all the things Aletta had been fighting for throughout her work as a doctor, including contraception, education around the importance of family planning and improving social conditions for the poor and working classes. Mm. In 1886, Aletta was successful in her campaign to instigate mandatory breaks for shop workers, which before that could see women on their feet for 10 to 11 hours a day, which was causing medical and gynecological issues. God, she's on a mission, isn't she? I know. She's, she's just all the things she's that are affecting women. Done. She's just like that. I'm going to look after that. I'm going to look mm. after that and that and that's affecting women. Incredible. I know. A year after they married, Aletta gave birth to a son who sadly only lived for a day, which she blamed oh. on the careless treatment by the midwife during the birth. Finding herself in a deep postnatal depression, Aletta decided to close her popular free clinics to the poor. Throughout her working life, Aletta translated a number of books into Dutch to make them available to others to read. She also published a number of articles defending contraception and highlighting poor working conditions. She wrote extensively on prostitution and sexually transmitted diseases, as well as the injustice of targeting these sex workers rather than addressing the misconduct of their clients. Mm, Absolutely. Never passing judgment or criticism in her writing, she was there to educate others. In 1897, she published one of her most famous books called The Women, Her Construction and Her Internal Organs, which described a woman's anatomy and reproductive system, all with the aid of movable illustrated plates. Oh, wow. It's pretty fascinating. You can look at it online too. Um, So this book would be republished six times between its debut and 1921. Wow. Yeah. In 1899, Aletta attended the International Council of Women where she met Susan B. Anthony, the American social reformer and women's rights activist, with whom she'd been corresponding with for some time. Aletta was finding herself more and more drawn to the suffrage movement and in 1903 she retired from her medical practice and decided to devote her time completely to the movement and soon became the president of the Society of Women's Suffrage, a post which she held for 16 years. This involved travelling around the world, speaking on women's issues and pushing for equal rights, including the vote for women. Sadly, in 1905, a number of years after she and her husband helped to establish the International Women's Suffrage Alliance, Carol died of cancer. Aletta was devastated and fell into another deep depression after the loss of her husband, a man that also championed women's and social issues relating to them. A year after her loss, Aletta resumed her work and continued to travel, spurring support for the Dutch suffrage movement. Not only did she make speeches about the fight for the right to vote, she also spoke on issues such as hygiene, sanitation, prostitution and venereal diseases, as well as calling for universal sex education. In 1911, alongside Carrie Chapman Catt, the president of the International Women's Suffrage Alliance, she travelled through South Africa, the Middle East, India, Ceylon, the Dutch East Indies, Burma, the Philippines, China and Japan, encouraging women and spreading the idea of women's suffrage. Throughout this time, Aletta also wrote for the Dutch newspaper De Telegraph, writing lively reports about her travels, which also gave her a form of income. 
Aletta was a fervent pacifist and in 1914, shortly after war was declared, she promoted holding the International Women's Conference in The Hague. As the Netherlands was a neutral territory, the location made sense. The conference was held the following year and saw an attendance of more than 1,000 people, which resulted in the formation of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, of which Aletta became the vice president of both the international organisation and the Dutch chapter. God, what a life. She's so busy. She's got that much on. It's, yeah, incredible. She travelled extensively to try and encourage leaders to use forms of mediation rather than violence and bloody warfare and even visited with the American president, Woodrow Wilson, to speak to their case. She was unsuccessful in her pursuits, which we all we know that in hindsight. <laughs> in 1917, Dutch women won the right to stand in elections. Funnily enough, these same women still did not have the right to vote in them. Wrong there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> However, Aletta stood as a candidate and won more votes than any other female contender. However, she was not elected, so no doubt that position went to a man. Oh, God. In 1918, Aletta, alongside Henry Marchant, who was the co-founder of the Free Thinking Democratic League, co-founded a journal together and began a working relationship. The following year, Marchant introduced the Women's Suffrage Bill to Dutch Parliament, something that Aletta was instrumental in. It was a success and women's suffrage was passed in the Netherlands in 1919. So to put it into context, uh, women, white women in Australia, won the right to vote in 1902 as in the Commonwealth, Mm -hmm. state by state. South Australia was in 1895, Western Australia in 1899, New South Wales in 1902, Tasmania in 1903, Queensland in 1905 and Victoria bringing up the rear in 1908. Um, And coincidentally, we've just had the anniversary of New Zealand becoming the first country to grant women the vote in 1893. Yeah, I was going to say New Zealand was was first, weren't they? Yeah, right up there. Shortly after the monumental win, Aletta resigned from her presidency at the Society of Women's Suffrage. In 1922 to 23, she sat on the advisory board of the Voluntary Parentage League and due to her pioneering role in contraception and women's health in the Netherlands, she also led the way for other activists such as Margaret Sanger in the in America and Mari Stopes in England to make progress. Their clinics would not open for more than three decades after Aletta had established hers. Gosh. Like, that's a huge... Gonna, yeah, because yeah. I've, I've, I've researched Margaret Sanger before mm to do her but it's she she's very controversial mm. because she's a bit of a pro-lifer yep as well yep. um but but yeah like the fact that she had that um Aletta had done this so much mm. earlier yeah than those women like that's that's incredible yeah I believe um Mari Stopes was also a little bit controversial, some of her views. Were that, yeah. 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 Uh, Aletta Jacobs died in 1929 at the age of 75 when she was on holidays in Utrecht. Her legacy can be seen when a contraception advice centre was opened in Amsterdam and named in her honour in 1932. She also has a number of awards named after her and her personal papers and part of her collection are held at the Atria Institute on Gender Equality and Women's History in the Netherlands and which was known as the Aletta Institute for Women's History from 2009 to 2013. A film about her life was made in 1995 called Aletta Jacobs, The Highest Aspiration. I was going to try and tell you the Dutch um, title, but I'm not going to bother. (laughs) In assessing her life's work the year before she died, she said, I feel happy that I've seen the three great objects of my life come to fulfilment. 
They were the opening for women of all opportunities to study and to bring it into practice, to make motherhood a question of desire, no more a duty, and the political equality for women. God, she, that, I mean, yeah, she's three chickstree episodes in one. The fact yeah, that she's done amazing. those three things mm. and, the, and the, you know, that she'd set out to do those and saw those in her lifetime yeah. and was able to contribute to those. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I know. And that is the story of a letter. Jacobs. Aleta Jacobs. Mm. Bloody salute you. That's I incredible. Know. We really have to remember the, those women that have gone before us in order for us to have things like contraception yeah. or the vote or, mm. you know, the, the, the ability, like she says, to make woman, motherhood a choice, not a chore. That's right. That we all have to endure. Yeah. Um, so, oh, that's that's amazing. I what know. an incredible life. I know. Incredible story. And so early on, like really, like yeah. 1879 yeah. she opened her first clinic. That's just. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, amazing. Mm. So oh, hurrah. She's amazing. I would have loved to have met her. She seems like a very. God, God, yeah, you want her on your team, don't you? I know, I know. When she, when you said she was going to start a little suffrage thing, I was like, oh, yes, mm. that's who, that's who we need. Exactly, a woman like that. You go, girl. Mm. Amazing. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Really, <laughs> thank you for listening. And um, yeah, we'll be back next week with another chicken history. Can't wait to get into your ears. Until then, rate and review. Right Thank you. <laughs>